from their secret lair on the back lot of an abandoned theme park in the heart of the New York of the South. They spring into action whenever an unwanted opinion is needed. This is Two Dudes on a Backlot. Now, here's your hosts, R.L. Sutton and Harvey. We are Two Dudes on a Backlot giving you this special episode of Beyond the Backlot. Pulling back the curtain so you can see a little bit about our lives and what we're about. My man, R.L. Sutton. That's me. I'm Harvey. We got something to say, but nobody asked. This is a great idea that uh, R.L. came up with. So, uh, R.L., let everybody know what this one's uh, about. This is our 15th episode, so we're going to do something special called Beyond the Backlot. And that is a look outside of our our, our characters and events that me and Harvey have been part of beyond the backlot. So, Harvey, what you got? Like uh, my brother from another mother just said, R.L. Sutton, we are creatives. We, one of the reasons we do this podcast is, yes, we do enjoy pop culture and movies and television and comics and pro wrestling and music, but um, we are, we are creatives. You know, I'm a, I'm a DJ and I recently DJed at an outdoor Latin festival in central Florida called the Sunset Festival, short for us. Calle San Sebastián. It's a festival that's in Puerto Rico every January in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And it's almost like a pre-Mardi Gras type festival. And uh, in Orlando, they have their version of it. And it was at an outdoor venue called the Central Florida Fairgrounds, which is in Orlando, Florida. And I was DJing in between the musical act. So they would have a musical act. And when the musical act was taking their instruments down, I would be there DJing. And filling with a little bit of music. Being the festival what it is, I, it wasn't like an outdoor traditional like EDM festival where I'm pumping the crowd out because I would maybe get to play two songs, you know, and then the next act would be ready. But what was cool was the second to the last act was a female act. Her name is La India, and she was late. And there which was the second to the last act. So these are the people that are staying to the bitter end and the pace was packed. All you could see was, you know, by nighttime it was nightfall. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I got to mix for like a good 10, 15 minutes and pump the crowd up and play music. And then it was more of like a very party atmosphere. So it was pretty fun. And I got to thank um, my friend DJ body boy from Dynamic Entertainment DJs. If you're in the Central Florida area, but DJ Bodie Boy covers the whole state of Florida. So if you're in Florida and you're looking for a DJ for your event, corporate, party, wedding, quinceanero, write this number down. 407-637-6552. Dynamic Entertainment DJs, DJ Bodie Boy, he's going to take care of you. Ask for Mojave, and I could be at your wedding, you know, and we could talk about cool uh, pop culture stuff, and I can make you shake your butts. Question, how did this event start out in Puerto Rico? What was the... the it's an event that's been going on for years, I would even say, you know, centuries. Because uh, old San Juan is... A historical part of Puerto Rico that's protected by like, you know, the historical preservation society. 
because it has okay. stuff from when they, you know, the conquistadors and the original Spaniards colonized Puerto Rico, and that's in the city of it. San Juan is the capital of Puerto Rico. So it, it's been going on for who knows how long. You'd have to Google it. But it's a festival they've been doing every so Orlando having a huge specifically Puerto Rican community, you know, over the last 20 years that you've, there's just been more Latin festivals. And this is one of the festivals that they've been doing at least for like the last 10 to 12 years, you know, kind of maintaining that cultural tie back to Puerto Rico, since there are so many Puerto Ricans that are now established in central Florida, Orlando, Tampa area. They, they had this festival. So they were all, they were all Latin acts. Beyond Latin, is there like certain expectations that are like there's a certain style type of music that you would hear at this that you might not hear at a more on the yeah, radio? Or yes. Right now, you know, music is uh, cyclical. It goes through cycles. And what's real popular right now, you know, the tastemakers forever in a day, doesn't matter the genre of music. It's always going to be the youth, you know, the young people, mm. teenagers, people in their early 20s even young teenagers, like 12-year-olds. Um, and what's popular right now is more of like what they call trap music, you know, Latin trap music, Spanish rap over uh, an American-type tra trap beat, which is, you know, very popular in the southern parts of the U.S. Um, what uh, is known as reggaeton, you know, Bad Bunny right now is the biggest artist, not only in reggaeton, but worldwide. He's like the most downloaded artist on Spotify worldwide. So since this festival skews a little older, I got to have fun and I got to play, you know, some older Latin music, you know, salsa, merengue, okay. music that you would hear like at a wedding, especially if it's like, you know, people at least um, from 35 on up. Yeah, there were young people there, but the acts that they had kind of leaned more to what they call tropical music, which is, like I said, more of a traditional style of Latin music versus the modern Latin music is very Americanized. It's very electronic. It's, it sounds like American hip hop music, but they're, you know, talking in or rapping or singing in Spanish. Like, like I said, like Bad Bunny and Daddy Yankee and Osuna and all of these current crop of what would they would call urban artists that they're, you know, singing or rapping over more of a Americanized electronic type of beat versus what you the average person would think more of, of a, you know, ding, 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 you know, a salsa type of, you know, more of a Latin sounding beat. So uh, this was cool because it was a festival that that skewed a little older. And even when I got there and they were setting up my equipment, plugging into the, the, the gear that they had on the stage, a lot of the the techs and, and uh, the sound engineer, they were specifically requesting don't play Bad Bunny. Don't play most of this newer mm. stuff. We don't want to hear that because they, all they do are do they do concerts where they have to play this stuff. So it, for them, it was a nice change where they got to just hear other stuff that wasn't the stuff that's popular. Because sadly, nowadays, you know, when you do something that that skews young, people want to play it safe and they just play whatever's popular at the moment, and they don't even want to hear music that's even a year to two years old, and not so much the audience as much as the people putting on the events or even the radio station management and owners, they, you know, everything is about playing it safe. That's why 
we have reboot after reboot after reboot in Hollywood yes. with TVs and movies. Music is the same thing. They want to, you know, everybody wants the return on investment. Nobody wants to take a chance or nobody wants to put it in the hands of the DJ because the sad thing is, you know, just 20, you know, 40 years ago at the beginning of hip hop when, you know, DJing was turning into what it is now, the DJ was the tastemaker. It wasn't, it wasn't the radio station owner. It wasn't the record owner. It was the DJ. The DJ was the, the person that had the connection with the audience. They saw what the audience liked, what they reacted to, what they did a bigger pop for, the songs that they kept requesting. They saw the songs that didn't work and they wouldn't dance to, and they saw the songs that did work. They were the tastemakers, and now it's decided all by algorithms and, you know, crappy research. <laughs> now... As you know, I work in entertainment as well, and though I, I I work in television, I don't. I have the screen in front of me, and then I have the person in my ear. You were I saw your some of your po your pictures. You're in, a, in front of an audience of how many people would you say was there at the prime? I don't know, maybe like ten thousand people. Okay, it, it was a it was a legit outdoor festival. Yeah, how do you? prepare mentally for something like that because that feels like a lot a lot of pressure is there something that you do that to get yourself ready for performing in front of that yeah that many people yeah preparation is key that is that's not the type of event where you just show up with your laptop and your dj gear and you just open up and and go um there that particular festival my friend that gave that uh gave me that event kind of gave me a quick rundown. I was like, hey, they're expecting this type of music. Um, kind of format it this way. You're going to play three songs of this. Then you can play three songs of that. So I went in with a certain idea of what the event was. And even, you know, a couple of days before, I'm preparing the music. So I'm going to have what they call crates, you know, like literally like music crates, like milk crates. Back in the day, you know, at the early um, hip hop DJs, they would carry around their LP, their vinyls. You know, mm -hmm. their vinyl records in these milk crates. That's how they were carrying them around. Nobody does that anymore. People will still DJ on vinyl and on records, but it's more uh, virtual. It's done through your laptop and whatever software that you decide to use. The most common one is Serato and Rekordbox. Those are the two main ones, but there are a bunch of others that people will use. It's, you know, it's for whatever works best for you or for your taste. But it, the within your software, it's called crates. So... Instead of having to go through all of your music, because that is the beauty of a laptop, you're not physically carrying, you know, 40, 50, 60 pounds of records. You're just carrying your laptop. And with, you know, terabytes on top of terabytes of, of memory, you can have pretty much all of the music you want. You may, you all, if you have a strong Wi-Fi signal, you have the ability to stream. So you can use stream music so you can have, if, if you have a strong connection, like I said, you have the ability to play whatever song on demand. But in an event like that, you wanna you want stability. So you're gonna go go with the music on your laptop, or you're gonna go with a laptop and an external hard drive. I keep my music on an external hard drive. Me, the reason I do that, it makes my laptop work more efficiently. It's not as bogged down. I don't have the money to buy the top of the line MacBook Pro. 
that has all of the memory to put all that music on there. But I can't afford, you know, a decent external hard drive that's rugged and, you know, holds a lot of music. So, and worst case scenario, if I lose, I have two laptops. If I have one that just totally craps the bed on me, I can switch to the other one, plug in the hard drive and go. If my, if, and if you're asking, so Harvey, what do you do if that hard drive takes a crap? I have a backup hard drive that's, you know, identical to the, my main one. So that's how, and then I have a hard drive at my house and I have an extra hard drive at my mom's house. So, <laughs> you know, these are like, you, you gotta have um, contingencies. You gotta have a backup for a backup for a backup. So um, you have to go prepared since I'm, I knew that I was roughly gonna play the same two to three genres of music. I create crates specifically for that event with those genres. That way I could just b jump back and forth between those three crates of music. I'm not going to be going into my universal one that has everything from EDM to classic R&B to dinner and cocktail music I'm going to play at a wedding. That's just ridiculous. You kind of do it for the event. If I was playing a nightclub and it was a Latin nightclub, then I have crates that are specifically for you know more of a hardcore Latin nightclub event versus a corporate event where I'm playing for corporate boring people that are in suit and ties but then I have more of a top 40 type music so you you have to have everything um in little groups in Target sub audience. yeah exactly that way you could just go in and out of what you need to do the nerves that is something that you're only going to get through it by doing it. I've done, you know, festivals like that before. And believe it or not, as a DJ, I find it easier because I'm just playing music and I could just, you know, um, if I didn't, ha they didn't give me a microphone. I wish they did because then I'd be able to interact with the audience more. But there I could just keep playing music and, you know, I have music for, you know, I could play music for days. I've had events where I was an MC and I just had a microphone and that's a lot harder because, you know, now you're almost like stand up comedian and you're a host. And when you're just up there talking, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot harder as a DJ. It's actually easier. And as an MC, you're kind of looking at these people in the face as a DJ. If I get nervous, I could just look down at my laptop. And and, and, and kind of go into my own little world. You don't want to totally go into your world because you're playing for them. So you need to see what they're reacting to, what is if they're dancing, if they're not dancing. And a lot of times I didn't have much time because I was literally there to just fill in the gaps between one band getting on stage and one band getting off stage. So I was literally playing like the hits, you know, of that particular age range of that audience, which I would say was like 35 on up. So it was a more adult audience and they were there to just have a good time. You know, they probably, their kids were elsewhere and they, they were there and they just wanted to dance and eat and drink and have a good time listening to, you know, good old fashioned Latin music. So cool. if, you, if, if you're up and coming DJ and you want to do vet festivals, what you have to do, you could practice all you want in your bedroom. Yes, you want to do that. Because even... Leading up to the event, I was getting up before going to my full-time job and practicing. But you got to play in front of an audience. How do you, how do you get to the festival side? You got to put in your dues. You got to meet people. 
you got to slowly, you know, start with maybe pool parties and work your way up to like weddings. And then from weddings, you got to start networking. If you could get into radio or you create your own, you know, um, lane or environment like a podcast or you stream on Twitch or you post mixes on the internet, you know, do what you have to do. There's so many ways you could get your product out there, no matter what it is. But if you're focusing on performing as a musician or a DJ, it is vital to be in front of an audience because that's the only way you're going to work out that that fear. If you ran your own, you you were at the time where you could control what you were putting on air as opposed to as a DJ on air, what would it be that you would, what would you do? That's a good question. How would Harvey handle his own radio show that he had that creative control of? That's an excellent question. It, it depends what we're talking about. If we're doing something where it's more talk radio, like what we're doing here, then I would talk about interesting subjects. If it was more music based, I am the philosophy of DJ Jazzy Jeff. DJ Jazzy Jeff was and is the DJ of who we call Will Smith. When they were together as a duo, it was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And there is a famous meme in, you know, DJ community where DJ Jazzy Jeff says, you know, a good DJ will play music that the audience wants to hear. A great DJ will play music that they didn't know they wanted to hear. Meaning, you know, a great DJ is going to play music that the audience isn't expecting. Or you expose them to new music. Because in this day and age, and like I said before with like entertainment in general, people want to play it safe or your boss, whoever it is, the club owner or the festival promoter or your boss at the radio station, they, their algorithm or their um, analytics are telling you, oh, these are the popular songs. But you want to be more in tune with the audience. You want to play stuff that they're not expecting. So yeah, I am going to play popular stuff, but at the same time, I, I would want to expose them to new music. And here's the thing about music, RL. New music isn't necessarily have to be new. What I mean is you give them an oldie that they weren't expecting, or you may expose them to a song that maybe when it came out didn't blow up, but you know, music being what it is, maybe it sounds more appropriate now. Maybe it was a song that was before its time and now it sounds better or people are in a different state of mind where they might like that song. Some songs age beautifully or some songs show their age, but they just sound so good right now. Perfect example. Kiss. I was made for loving you. At the time, Kiss put it out when disco was popular. That was their version of a disco song. And they got a lot of flack and criticism for it because they're a rock band and They've always had like a very loyal, rabid audience. And they kind of got criticized because they hopped on the disco bandwagon like many people did at that time. Wasn't even popular when it first came out, which is Kiss's I Was Made For Loving You. When you hear the song now, that's rock song. It's like a groove to it. 
And you play it now, people lose their minds over it. They love it. And when the song first came out, it came out during the disco era. They got a criticism. They got a lot of flack because they hopped on the disco bandwagon. But that song, when you play it now, to a Kiss audience, they just lose their minds. And if you play that song to like a, a crowd that they're kind of like in a rock and country and they're a little rowdy, and you play that song, people love it because it starts off with a cool little chant. Ooh. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great song. It's just an excellent party song. And that's what you need to do with music. You know, give people, yes, what they want to hear, but give them something that they're, they're not expecting. So that's what I would do. I would, I would want to mix it up, and I would take chances. And that's the problem, my problem with radio today. There's no chances. They, they play it way too damn safe. So I would play a lot of stuff I know that works, but then I would occasionally... All right, here's a Harold Mary. Let's see what this song does. And if it does poorly, then yeah, I'm going to remove it and I'll replace it with something better. But that's the problem. You know, some of the best art we've gotten was people taking chances. I agree. And that's why art and, and entertainment right now is just so boring. You know, you got any other questions for me? No, actually, that kind of covered it, I think. Two Dudes on a Backlog will return after this message. Two Dudes on a Backlog will return after this message. Every culture possesses comparable myths, accounts of distant lands, and the belief of creatures that can transform at will. Should every report be dismissed, every tale written off, every sighting mistaken, is this not a sign of human pretension to dismiss thousands of years of history? Silver legend of the wolf. Waga Comics of Japan is now offering a digital version in English and Japanese of all issues of Silver Legend of the Wolf. We now return to Two Dudes on a Backlog. We now return to Two Dudes on a Backlog. I gotta say, my man, you had some excellent questions. I got a couple of questions for you. You recently had, um, like I said before, R.L. Sutton, my brother from another mother, he one of the uh, talents that he has is he is a writer. He's always writing. He writes comic books as well as, you know, novels and stories. So you recently had a competition that you submitted some of your work for, correct? Yes. So what exactly was this competition and what was was there a prize? Was it for exposure? You know, give us a, a, a rundown on that. So I am a member of a site called Autocrit, A-U-T-O-C-R-I-T. And the reason how I came to be part of this, this um, it's like a classroom, the site. It's a community. They have thing where you can meet other writers. They give different challenges. They also have some software that you can upload your material. And what it does is you can compare it to the greats. Like if you do horror, you can upload it and say, what is my my thing like in comparison to, say, Anne Rice or other authors of that sort? So it is also this question for him. So to interrupt, is this a curated or feedback from as well? 
it, it that's the thing it has two elements to it it does it's a operating system that it will say okay these are your strong points it will give you very make suggestions and stuff like that but it also has the opportunity that and in fact that was one of the that was the prize i won um but i'll get to that let's in a moment give me a but just describing the site you upload your material there but what it does have is it give it's called the autocrit academy and that's where you will go through just like a classroom usually they're they can be done over the course of a month but when they're live but you can take it at any point and they're pre-recorded and the lesson it will expose you to different tools in your writing as a writer's kit and then once a week it has a class meeting when it's live where it's you're watching a video and the teacher's telling you going over material and they're exposing you talking to ideas and you can ask questions and during that point you can interact in fact I, the first class i did was a horror writing contest and i had the ask the instructor if he'd look at the chapters of one of my stories he read through it gave me some pointers and everything what they did this year is they had the starting strong writing con challenge and that is where you would have to give a they would give the parameters of a short story couldn't be more than a thousand words and then they would say you have to incorporate these things in it like the location a zoo they were having showers and then halfway through the contest they threw a plot twist that you had to work into your story now what they were giving away and that's the part that's unique what you could win the prizes were author services okay and one of those things and they had several of them pitch perfect meeting where you would be coached on pitching a novel chapter critique the first three thousand words of your chapter story inspection and it's where it is, where this is for a writer is yes they have a community and they encourage you to interact with the community and kind of throw ideas around but this is where you have somebody who's a in this profession who's going to go over your material and give you the strong strong parts or the weaker parts again it's like anything there's different price ranges in it and i bought a year's subscription so when if you just subscribe to it regularly like if you use one of their classes they will send you emails like hey we're running a special do you want would you like to do this would you like to do that and because i submitted my short story though it didn't win and this is the part that was really cool those i believe it's like five or ten people who who were in the running the final running for the the contest they would read your story live over the internet so it was a broadcast on YouTube, kind of exciting to hear somebody else saying your words. I unfortunately didn't place, but they also had a daily challenge check-in. And that is you would go to the site every day and click and say, hey, I did this. And they wanted you to make a comment. And if you just participate in that, that's, that's kind of like a reminder. Hey, every day, think about your writing every day, encouraging you to write. I won what's called a story doctor. And what that is, is I'll write, you write something, you have a year to use it. And for 30 minutes, you can basically spitball or talk about your story to one of their, their professional authors, and they can give you ideas and critiques and 
challenging you on ideas. And as a writer, yeah, you you know, your friends read it and your your best mate might read it or your wife and others. Sometimes having somebody who's actually in this profession giving you that hard feedback that somebody else might not give you or something that they're looking at your story not as a audience but as a craftsperson, that can go a long way helping you build your art. The beauty of this of this site is it holds you accountable because it gives you kind of like a homework where you're checking in. Now, you didn't place. Does that mean that your story was not read on YouTube, correct? Correct. Well, the cool thing is, obviously, now you're going to have something to build towards. And like you were saying, when you give it to friends and family, they may feel like they don't want to hurt your feelings or they may be a little too brutal. Or some people will just critique just a critique. But what you're getting through this site is what I'm getting from you is you're getting creative criticism so they'll be like okay i see what you were doing here try it this way instead of what you did here so you you will get like examples on how you can improve your writing so i think that's a phenomenal thing man and, and here's something else because uh -huh. i participated in it the one thing they did is their service of hey we is usually they gave me they gave all the people who participated in it the opportunity to get feedback on that story they submitted for a discounted rate. And they're like, hey, they sent me an email saying, okay, you participated in this and, and this is a deeper insight we'll offer you on your story. So I will get notes from one of the, the writers who's going to read through my story and say, okay, this is what this is what worked, this was didn't work. And Unlike live performances, because in the beauty of writing, you can always go back and fix it. You know, you got to kind of live with it as enough in live performances. But with this, it can say it can the potential is there to point out things that you miss that maybe nobody else even thought of, like a question that, hey, um, why did this person do this or what is that about? Or just by the way, you misspelt whatever. And so a second pair of eyes comes in really handy. and there is no novel anywhere in this world that at least today we'll say the 21st century that somebody else hasn't gone through whether it's stephen king or whoever your favorite author is forty thousand times and said by the way steve you keep doing this or you do that or something like that so you're not seeing the author's first second third 15th draft when you're picking it up on a shelf or reading it digitally yeah, you're getting like, you know, the the super polished version of it. But what are your thoughts? Is are do you think you're getting return on investment? Is it do you feel like you've it's made you expand your horizons and grow as a writer? I mean, I'm pretty sure there's been some frustrating parts with it, but would you recommend this to another up and coming writer? I would recommend this simply because you I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not the most show show on the sites like i i see a lot of people that are posting daily and kind of chatting up and everything like that i think that the services the classes are helpful or a great cost they have two that i plan to participate in down the road where one is on gothic writing and one is on science fiction writing i'm eager to see what the notes are like i haven't received those yet but having the challenge in this if you're a independent writer Yes, you have a certain amount of creative control in your work and you can kind of 
gate say i want to go this way or that way but if you're a creative in any fields and you're working with a corporate entity you're going to send them the draft and even if it's polished up and you've hired hired beta readers and you've had editors people pour over your material every bit of the way once that arrives in that office even if they want your story you're going to get notes from the publisher you're going to get notes from the higher-ups that are going to tell you we like this but we think you should do that we think you might have missed the boat here we feel like you're going to have to change this over here and even if you have beta readers and that for those who don't know what a beta reader is is that somebody that you haven't pretty much done but you send it to them and there's somebody usually in that that field of study that they're going to read through your book with no preconceived notions and say send you some notes going by the way when your guy did this i i don't understand what happened there or when your this happened in your story i don't know what happened why that's doing that they're going to give you notes so you're going to have to change it no first draft second draft or fifth draft is perfect i don't care who the author is somebody's going to look at your work so that gets you used to that and also in this case they threw things at you and you might one of my dreams would be to write a official star trek book paramount's not going to say rl you can do whatever you want with this they're going to give me notes and saying you can't do these things and that's so that's helpful for an author getting used to the idea that you might have to go a different road not of your own choice yeah, because that's one thing with people that when they do art, some people, they're like, this is what I do and this is my vision. But it's like, yeah, but if your vision is never seen by anybody else, is it worth it? Sometimes you have to be flexible. And that's one thing I've encountered with like events and short you know, movies that I've done. Or even when you're just talking about the initial process of, putting together a production for like a, a movie or a short and the director or writer, they, they're just, they, they, they don't want to budge. And it's like, Hey man, you are not Spielberg. So <laughs> you need to relax and change a couple of things because you're now you're just going to waste all of our time that you did something and then nobody watches it or nobody wants to watch it. What's the point then? But as a creative, you also have to consider Okay, let's say you're an independent author. You create the rules. Your fans are looking at it as a as a work of as a completed work. If you're not following your own the rules, they're gonna call you out for it. And that's the whole idea is to get fans. So your readers are gonna be like, hey, character did this and this story this book two books ago or two chapters ago, and then you he can't do that or she can't do that. What's going on there? So ultimately your fan base is going to say kind of like you've established the rules and now you're changing the rules. So you're going to write it and you're going to go back and go, you need, you need to keep that in your head. And if you're not, you're no, I mean, we see hacks writing stuff like Star Trek and Star Wars all the time where rules were set long before they got into it, but because they don't care, they suddenly decide, ah, I don't care. Well, as an, an author in this case, you you've established this ground you're if you're making money at it you've established all the rules and so your readers are expecting you to be consistent in what you're doing 
No, I that I understand, but I'm talking about the people that don't even have a fan base. Oh. You got to okay. create a fan base before you. I'm talking about people that it may be their not necessarily their first project, but they are so like I had a friend of I have a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And him and his partner, they would talk about what the after effects, meaning, oh, when we get famous, we're going to do this talk show. We're not going to do this talk show and blah, 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 blah. And that's if you're doing it for fun, you know, and you're, you're talking crap just to talk crap. Sure. But they would say it in a very serious tone. It's like, guys, you don't have anything. You just have this one little project that you did. And yeah, people like it, but you haven't even made money off of it. That's what I'm talking about. You know, at the beginning, if you haven't done anything, you can't demand anything. I'm not talking about people that are established. I'm talking about people that are just trying to get established. You got to be flexible at the beginning. And that's a great example. So you start out, you've you've got these things, you're trying to get it out there. You're suddenly going and someone calls you and says, Hey, I'd like you to have to be on this podcast or whatever. And they got a small audience, but it's still an audience. And they're like, Hey, can you do it on this day? This day? Sometimes, yeah, you have to make those changes. And even, especially in the written work, you consistency is important. <laughs> you, you, you can't just write whenever you feel sometimes uh, you have to write when you just don't feel like it just to keep, yeah. The process going and that's what i'm saying it's like i like i said i understand that people have their their process or this is what i want to do okay i get it but you can't be so you know uh, uh rigid rigid some sometimes there are things out of your control that you're just gonna have to be flexible that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking you know once you're established you could do, you know, you do what you have to do or you could do what you want to do. But if you ain't shit, just let's say just like that, you ain't shit right now, then you can't demand anything. Be like, be, let your, let your work get out there. You know, be, be somebody that some people know, oh, so-and-so. Oh, okay, I've, I've, I've heard of that person. Before you could start being like, this is my vision. Screw your vision. It's pointless. It's pointless what vision you have if nobody is seeing the project that you just created. That's all I'm saying. 10 years ago, Amazon was taking open submissions for movies. And uh, to really shorten the whole thing, basically you submitted your story within 45 days, they would get back to you. Nobody was doing that 10 years ago. This is early to 20 teens, but they were doing it. And if they liked your story, they would option it for 14 months for $10,000 with an open contract saying for another, another 10, you would give them another 14 months per them paying you another $10,000. So we're up to 20 grand. If they purchased it, the script, they owned all rights to it, completely top to bottom, the whole thing, your total the total money that they would hand over to you was $200,000. Now, even with inflation today, 200,000 is a lot. I was talking to somebody when I was in film school about that. And he goes, no, I'd have to direct it. I go, that's not the contract. The contract was straight up this, but if you have something, think about it. Oh no, no, 
the only way I would sell this is if I'm directing it as well and they have to do it my way. I'm like, I was just like, no one does that. Yeah, no, it's like you are, I'm going to say very vulgarly, you ain't shit. You're nobody. You are nobody. And I'm not saying it as me to insult you. It's like you haven't done anything. You haven't earned anything. That You know, people are not going to invest money in any sort of, especially nowadays where all they do is reboot everything because they want the safe, the safest bet. But yeah, this person that you were talking to, is, they're probably still working some job that they hate. They're probably not even in the creative field anymore because they're like, oh, it's got to be this way. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. No one's going to give you that opportunity. So no, you have to do a couple of, you got to, you got to be the assistant director, the director of photography on a couple of other projects before somebody says, Hey, let's get this person an opportunity. They have a good idea. You got to show and prove, you know, one of the uh, YouTubers I follow who does, she gives writing advice. The first thing she told people, she's like, okay, once you do your book, you put that first one out there, put it out there digitally, put it out there for a discounted rate. She's like, compare it to everything else in the field and go, because you're, you're looking for people to invest in you. And if you're doing a series, your next few books can go up in price as you drop them. Give, and she even told people, sell that first one for like, do a sale. Maybe you're selling it for like $2 or a dollar or something with the idea that you got four other books in that series. So they're gonna, you're gonna be making money down the road. Take that hit right away because you're getting your audience to read it. And if you come in there, you know, $24, and it's costing them the same thing that a proven author's gonna cost them. That's, well, I've never heard of you. Why am I gonna give you my hard earned money when I can go to somebody I trust? No, what she said is is a solid business technique. That's what drug dealers do. Drug <laughs> dealers usually give out the first sample for free, get the person hooked on said drug, and then they start charging them, you know, for the drugs because now they have them hooked it's the same mm-hmm. it's it's the same premise it's the same idea get them hooked on what you have to offer and then you could start changing your prices and making your demands where do you think that comes from like the person that you use in, as an example where they're like oh i have to direct i have to do this what where does the delusion come from believing your own hype because i don't i don't know what else to say to call it is it you're so self delusioned that now any kind of critique you just can't take it and we believe our you know we do something and we think we're more than we are and we don't have a track record to support it and you know yes you you everyone should be striving for greatness to be the best person that you can be but we we start getting into our own heads and a little too much and yeah, you want to fake it till you make it, but you, you you've got to re- be realistic about it. You know what? What is your? You know, are you really a in the entertainment business, or do you just drive trucks for a company? You know, are you? I would, I would even blame like media. People have seen enough TV shows and movies where the 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 main characters like oh I, I i can't compromise my vision and then they don't and they end up being you know 
the hero at the end of the movie or whatever. I think there's a lot of that nonsense that feeds people's delusions, like you said. Yeah. And someone who you trust has validated your your point of view and not giving you the hard, you know, we're talking about entertainment here. There are plenty, there are thousands and thousands, and I know this, there are millions of authors on Amazon, some good, some bad, some that make a decent living, again, that's relative, who the average world has not heard of. But at the same time, there are plenty of people out there putting out stuff that they've never, um, that no one's, no one's watching and they're still waiting for that moment for it to break through. Another thing that I think is funny, and this is, we both work at, have experienced this, people will do fan films with this idea that this is such a brilliant idea that back when Lucas was still running it, Lucas will see it and absolutely want to support my project. And it's like, have you considered making something of your original? No, 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 no. Luke, I'm just brilliant. No, no, it doesn't but, happen. RL, you know what I think feeds into that is the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the story. We always hear the story of the one person that came from nothing and blew up, especially nowadays with modern social media. So people almost go in with that delusion, you know, of, they, they go in with that huge, you know, delusion of, oh, I'm going to do this and someone's going to see it and then I'm going to blow up. Um, there's a, a, a one of my favorite DJs on YouTube. His name is DJ Carlo Atendido. He is a Filipino mixed DJ. Very talented guy. And he does a lot of tutorials on YouTube. And he'll also, you know, he's he's very educational. And one of his videos is talking about his practicing and his build up to him winning one of the DJ competitions that he um, won. He is the, I think, two-time winner of uh, the Red Bull three style competition in the Philippines. And that's a big deal. And he went in with that man and he says it too, you know, and, and, and in the video, he critiques himself. He went in in the video with like, oh, once I win this competition, I'm going to like get so many gigs and I'm going to be like DJ famous. And he's like, guess what, guys? There, I, I spent a whole year practicing my routine and I went and I did my routine and I slayed. I killed it. I won the competition. Did I get any more gigs after that competition? No. <laughs> he is a world champion in DJing and his checkbook was just as empty as it was the year before. He's made more money or he's made more of a name for himself through putting video after video after video on YouTube and creating his audience and creating his own personal brand and standing out from the other DJ YouTubers, you know? And that's a perfect example of that. It's like he went in and he admits it and then he makes fun of himself. It's like, it, it didn't do anything. So I did it a second time. I won, this, I won the competition uh, the, uh, a second time. No same outcome you know you Look, can't go into it like it's a race almost like oh if i do this i'm gonna win it's like no you it's about um you know s slow and steady wins the race i as you know i wrote silver legend of the wolf i've got three issues of it 
story art got published in Japan. You know, it's on 200 sites in Japan. And the, um, and I thought, you know, this is it. I can say based on the Japanese manga, comic, whatever you want to call it, got a local comic shop he, t- near me to carry it. And it was like, okay, I'm j- you know, you're, you know, you share and like, Hey, this thing's out there and you wait. And yeah, I have a, it's still on the site. It's on um, the company site and it's still on all these places. And I get month to month quarterly updates on how it's doing but at the end of the day it's still not it's it's had a few readers in fact i was so incredibly the first day it came out in 2020 it came out mid-december and i'm like oh it sold two copies out of the blue from a writer no one's ever heard of so you know you're you're like just envisioning all the things that it where it could go and it did nothing that's 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 the breaks man and i dropped the other one and you know the the in fact the guy who the guy who runs the um the company he's listened to our podcast but it's just one of those things that you don't know what's going to work out a little funny thing is i found out that they don't have a werewolf mythology in japan didn't know that good to know (laughs) <laughs> um, it, but yeah, it's still there, still hosted. He's very gracious. He doesn't, you know, he's never come back and said, Hey, I, you know, it's not costing him anything. He's not, Hey, I'm going to pull you because we're not selling. It's just something in his, I was one of the early people to even submit something to him, but I brought the book to, to American, to American publishers, had it emblazoned on the cover based on the Japanese manga had links and everything and crickets. What you gonna do? It happens. Yeah, moral, and, moral of the story, consistency is key. You just yeah. put out the next one, the next one, and the next one. But the sometimes the other thing, and this is a hard one for people to accept, once in a while, what you think is a good idea may just be what it is it may just be that i that thing it's it's just it gets you in the door it gets you something to to help help getting you going but it's the first step in what can be a long road it may just be that it's gets you there just like the story like why i got w w a g a of japan it's just that first one and the key is learn Learn from the mistakes or learn from what you did. It's still there. You still have an accomplishment, but you don't assume that you're going to, that that first work is going to be that thing that's going to launch you to the moon. We all hear the stories of JK Rawlings and some of these other creatives that, you know, Lucas, Lucas did a film, but what, do you know what Lucas's first mo- major film was, Harvey? Lucas? Wasn't it t- George t- Lucas? T H X whatever. That's where that was his short film. What okay. did he? What was his first feature film? Was it American Graffiti? Yes, but you had to stop and think. If I said what's Lucas's biggest film, Star Wars, you don't have to think about it. Yeah, true. And American Graffiti is a classic. 
it's well respected. But yeah, I was like, I know he did American Graffiti. Yeah, and this is my thought process. I know he did American Graffiti, but it's not the THX thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you start doing you start you start doing that type of deal. But yeah, you're right. You had to think about it. And people, you know, yes, King put out his first book. It exploded. He got a huge deal on the paperback rights. King been writing for years. People, <laughs> there, every yeah, you you hear, and I think that's what the where it comes from is we live in a sports driven world too, where people see these nobody suddenly signing these multi-million dollar contracts but there's just as many people on the practice team that's never seen a day a day of airtime in their life that's no it's true i and i i really think it got ramped up with social media because social media you could be whoever you want to be you know if you you know you you could put on whatever image of yourself you want and you can even alter your image with filters and whatnot but it's definitely up that thing. Like when you say, Oh, I'm doing a podcast. People think you're going to be a millionaire or something like, yeah, that'd be great. But you just got to keep putting the next episode out and just, it's the consistency and you're going to get better with each project that you're doing. So if you're a writer, if you're a DJ, if you're a musician, whatever it is that you want to, you know, do in the entertainment field or just in whatever field you're in, just, just keep moving to the next thing. There isn't that one big, you know, project that's going to make you rich or make you famous or just make you good at what it is that you want to do. You want to be the best lawyer? Well, before you're having your face plastered all over your town and on TV, you know, TV shows or, you know, between commercials, you got to be the best lawyer in your firm and then move on from there. And then you're the best lawyer in your town. And then, you know, maybe the best in your state. And then if you really get to that, you know, Morgan and Morgan level of, you know, now you're, you know, you have law offices in multiple states, but you got to start somewhere and you just got to keep putting in the work. It's, it's the most unsexy thing possible, but you can't skirt around it. You just got to keep putting in the work and work towards the goal, whatever it is that you want to achieve. I think the problem with the goal is everybody wants to be, everyone's goal is to be that that world famous you got theme parks yeah that's a fun idea you got all these major things going on you know the the plaster thing on your face out there but there's plenty of people who are living very full rich lives that may not be the best seller might not have a hollywood movie out there but i sometimes success is relative that's the biggest thing and that's the thing that we that pop culture doesn't project is like the guy who's writing oh shoot you're you're two broke girls but we'll go back to the show we did a few episodes back the guy writing two broke girls he's lived a pretty decent life and you don't know his name but i'm pretty sure one of those room writers is having a pretty nice time at it or if you're just the guy who gets the contract to write a few of these i use star trek example novels that's still pretty fun so yes, everyone wants to be a superstar, but success can be very relative. Or the, um, it could be, you may not be ready for the success at that moment in your life. Like uh, my friend, DJ Bodie Boy, the, the buddy that got mm-hmm. me on the festival, he mentioned how um, he, he had friends in the past that'd be like, 
yo, man, put me on. I want to be on the stage. And come on, man, put me in the festival. Just give me 10 minutes. And he's like, okay, show up. And he had one guy show up, and he shows up with his gear. And he goes on stage, and when he saw all of those people, he freaked out. He's like, uh, I can't do this. You know, the idea of being in front of all these people was great. And he probably had done stuff in clubs and parties and stuff like that. But 200 people versus 2,000 people, it's night and day. And when you got 2,000 eyes blinking and looking at you like, all right, DJ, entertain me. It's a whole, it's, it's a different thing. And the guy just froze and never didn't play not one song because he just couldn't handle it. And that may be the case for many people. They think they can handle it and maybe they, they can't. And maybe sometimes it's, yeah, uh, it happens. You can't handle that level of, of what comes with what you're trying to be. And sometimes if you're, you don't get it when you, you think you really want it, it works out to be better in the, the long picture of life. We're getting a philosophy now. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, if you want to say something or one last your closing statement counselor at the end of the day guys we gave you we shared some experiences hoping to inspire you in whatever pursuit you are just remember it's a it's a marathon life is a marathon and you can go through actually I'll share that with you recently me and Mrs. R.L. We're at a KFC and on the wall, they had Colonel Sanders. And I don't know if you've ever, how many people know about Colonel Sanders, but he came up with that whole recipe late in life. And they've got Colonel Sanders sitting on a camel in front of a pyramid and above it, I believe he was in Rome. So you can, that spark, that opportunity of greatness can come at any point in your life. And I highly recommend that you pursue it because you never know what tomorrow can bring and we will continue giving you some grand updates of our adventures beyond the backlot. Have a good day. Need more Two Dudes on a Backlot? Join Two Dudes on a Backlot podcast Facebook group or Two Dudes on a Backlot podcast Instagram for a list of upcoming episodes. And new episodes drop every Monday. Now listen to what this other chat has to say. Now, as our intrepid duo return to their lives as pizza delivery man and dollar theater usher, we must remember the lessons we learned today. Join us again, same backlot time, same backlot 